Hey, this is Taylor and welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. Today's message comes from the series Revive. It is actually the last message in our series preached by Pastor Michael Gibson. The title of the sermon is By Night and By Day. A key text we will be taking a look at is found in John 3 verse 3 and it reads, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Your engaged question as you listen to this sermon is what does it mean to be born again? Father in heaven, for the last time in this set of weeks, we request your presence in this space. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this space and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what I long for, to be overcome by your glory, Lord. So we're here. We're praying that this space is holy ground, God. Do whatever it takes to break down barriers that your spirit will create inside of us a transformation, a new life, even today. God, thank you for being here. We're going to look to see how you show up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're going to be in the very last two verses of John chapter 2, and we will quickly move on to John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. That's going to be what's up on the screen for you. John chapter 2 Verses 23 through 25 read in this way, and I'm going to read from over here. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him, but Jesus did not trust them because he knew all about people. In verse 25, no one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. We begin today with this in mind. Jesus knows each person. And he knows what is on each person's heart individually. And I would say that the same Jesus who knew what was on, Jesus, on people's heart 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus today that knows who, what is on our heart. And in the narrative of the book of John, we are introduced to two Characters, people, more than just characters, people that Jesus was intimately acquainted with. We'll draw some conclusions today from their lives and see how it applies to ours. Jesus, knowing their hearts, we are introduced to the first person. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. We learn a lot about Nicodemus right off the bat. We learn that he's a man, which is important. We'll catch that in a moment. His name is Nicodemus. I might refer to him as Nico today because, you know, it's fun and cute to shorten people's names. He's a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. We can surmise from that that Nicodemus has been educated He's someone that has grown up inside of the church. He's a Pharisee, which was a strict religious sect at the time, marked by strict religious conservatism. He had an understanding of current doctrinal trends, and he was seeking a better understanding of Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 2. After dark one evening, 
He came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. The man, Nicodemus, under the cloak of night, not to be seen by his peers, not to be seen by the other religious leaders, because Jesus rising up at the time was seen as a religio-political figure. It was undeniable when they saw Jesus, the religious leaders, and even the Romans feared the uprising of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, cloaked in the night, wanted to come to Jesus to ask him questions. This man, at night, committed, educated, and a Jew. And you know how sometimes, like, you go to your parents or a sibling or something, you try to butter them up a little bit, right? You say, like, really nice things about them. You say, Mom, you're just so wonderful. You're so nice. I just, you're my favorite mother. She's like, I'm your only mother. What do you want? Try to butter our, butter our, our parents up a little bit. And I think Nico does a little bit of that. He says, Rabbi, gives him respect and says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. We're seeing it. And Jesus is going to have none of it. He cuts to the quick with Nicodemus and tells him in verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, you're a great teacher. You've got really good things going on. And Jesus says, no. Unless you are born again, you do not understand what my kingdom is about. Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. Jesus says, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. For Jesus, this kingdom of God was a new way to be human. It was a new order that he was bringing that was totally different, upside down from what the world had brought before. It's an order of life that runs counterculture to the world of sin that we live in. Jesus' mission was to come and to establish this kingdom and invite every single human being to be a citizen of that kingdom. But he tells Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see what I'm doing. In other words, it's more than the miracles, buddy. It's more than just this outward expression that you're seeing. My kingdom is something that there has to be a transformation of the heart in order to perceive. You see, there's a truth that we glean from these passages of Scripture that we ourselves must undergo a transformation in order to understand what God is doing in our lives. Jesus says, you're thinking within this current paradigm right now, but until your heart is reborn and there's a shift that happens inside of you, you're not going to understand what I'm doing. So the question that pops into my mind, and I hope a question that you ask yourselves, what does it mean to be born again? And how must we be transformed? What is this idea of being born again? What does that look like, Jesus? And here's how Nicodemus responds in verse 4 of John chapter 3. What do you mean, born again, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And of course, being very good, pious Christians today who are, um, you know, very relaxed and laid back, we have to stifle the giggle that's happening down inside of us, right? You're giggling on the inside because this is kind of funny. Nicodemus is, is using this analogy with Jesus. He's like, come on. Can an old person who's already been born go back and be born again? 
There's two ways that we could possibly interpret Nicodemus's response. Saying the impossibility of rebirth, he's maybe focused on the material thing of, of being literally born again, returning to his mother's womb. The other, ironically, could be posed in this way. How can a man whose habits and ways of thinking have been fixed by age expect to change radically? Nicodemus says, I'm an, I'm an old man. There's no way I, I can go back. How can I be reborn again? And Jesus breaks it down for him in verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. And in those two words, we have the keys to understanding what Jesus wants for our lives. This transformation that Jesus is trying to bring about to Nicodemus, he says, water and spirit. That's the transformation that happens. Water, scholars believe, alludes to baptism, the one that John the Baptist brought as he's baptizing believers into this new kingdom. It's this idea of repentance that we die to self and are raised to walk in a new life, trusting our lives to be submerged under water and death and being brought back up to live. The spirit is the transformation of the heart. See, in these passages, God is after the heart of two very specific people, and he needs them to understand that this new birth is conditioned on repentance and confession of the individual in response to the appeal of God and by the transformation of life by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues on trying to make it a little bit more clear for Nicodemus and for us as well in verse 6. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. He finishes this thought in verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Those of you who reside in Texas, and I assume you've spent a little bit of time here as you are attending this morning. Those of you that are watching online, I don't know what your experience with wind is, but particularly around this time of year, Texas likes to be windy, right? Is it just me? Okay, it might just be me. It's okay. Texas is windy. Well, I think we can debate that later if we want. I remember first visiting this campus when I was a student in high school, and there was one time we were here, we were staying in the guys' dorm, and, you know, us guys, I think we were upperclassmen in high school, you know, we were, we were looking good. We were ready to go to brunch and, you know, you know, impress the ladies on campus. You know, you got to, you know, stay right and true, but you got you to look good. We open up the door to the dorm and are greeted with this incredible blast of air. Totally, you know, put your hair sideways. And that wind transformed us. Didn't know where it was coming from. Didn't know where it was going. But all of a sudden in Texas, we have 35, 40 mile an hour winds. And we just, it's kind of everyday life and we deal with it. Jesus uses this analogy to say, in the same way that you don't know where that wind is coming from, it's a matter of fact, you can know for a guarantee that it's going to happen in Texas. In the same way, the transformation of the heart blows like the winds of Texas. Don't see where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. Sometimes there's something that awakens inside of you, the Holy Spirit in your life. It's moving upon you. You're like, I have no idea where this has come from. 
but I know for a fact that it's God working in my life. Holy Spirit moves on us with undeniable intentionality. It's inexplicable, but totally undeniable. Nicodemus, this first character that we're looking at, represents a group of people committed to an understanding of religion. Nicodemus was raised as a, as a good, devout Adventist, baptized into the church, born into the church, knew the intricacies of, of prophecy and the health message and right living, and maybe, just maybe, he attended Elevate faithfully. Maybe, I don't know. But the key to Nicodemus is that he was missing the transformation of the heart. He was missing that thing inside of him that would allow him to see the works of God through the kingdom of God. Ellen White puts it this way in her beautiful, beautiful book, Desire of Ages, page 171. It is not theoretical knowledge you need so much as spiritual regeneration. You need not to have your curiosity satisfied, but to have a new heart. You must receive a new life from above before you can appreciate heavenly things. He's writing this about Nicodemus himself. There may be some of us gathered here this morning that can resonate with Nico. We've been raised in the church. We've been born to know the ways of Jesus. We've sought higher education at an Adventist institution. We could recite the 28 fundamental beliefs. We can have an incredible understanding of what God looks like on paper but could be missing what God feels like in our lives. Nicodemus needed the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Man, at night, educated, committed, and a Jew. Next person we're introduced comes in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and I invite you to turn with me there. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Jesus is moving on. His ministry, he knows that there's, there's someone that I've got to connect with who's not in my immediate presence. And so he continues on in verse four. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. By the way, Jews and Samaritans, they mix like oil and water. You could shake them up. It kind of looks like they're together. And no, they're completely separate. And the same issues that we face today with racial reconciliation and how we love people that look different than us, the Jews were no different. They had a high prejudice against Samaritans because they came from a different tribe and a different people. But Jesus intention, intentionally walks into a place where he's not supposed to go and not supposed to be welcome so that he can meet the needs of of a woman, who we come to meet in verses six and seven. We'll go on to the next verse. Jacob's well, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the walk, long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Nicodemus by night, a Samaritan woman by day, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please, please, would you give me She's a little bit surprised, we read in verse 8 and 9 of John chapter 4. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews who refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan and I'm also a woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She had an expectation of not meeting anyone at the well. You don't go to the well in the middle of the heat of the day. 
You go there early in the morning to have the water that you need for the day. She's not trying to meet anyone, and she's surprised that a Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan woman. She was a female Samaritan. Jesus was a male Jew. No two genders or backgrounds could be further apart, but Jesus sought to break down those barriers. Full stop. Conversation continues. Jesus is not uh, rebuffed by her comments. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She's amazed by this promise of living water. He's trying to tell her, tell her, I'm, I'm the Messiah and I've got something for you that can completely transform your life. See, there's a tension here. She's living day to day, moment to moment. She needs just water from the well. And what's, what's this guy doing here? Samaritan woman, the wrong time of the day, perhaps casually committed to an understanding of who Jesus is. Verses continue on. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Are you hearing the connection to Nicodemus in the water, the regeneration power of the Spirit? Verses 15 continues on. Verse 15 continues on. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. And she hangs her head and says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replies to her in this way. You're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. She's longing for water, but she's outcast in her town. She's longing for belonging, but can't seem to find it anywhere. Perhaps this woman represents a group of people with little to no commitment to the way of Jesus. They're just trying to get by day to day. She's just playing the cards that are handed to her but there's an awakening in her heart for something more, but she's not there yet. She's got a casual understanding of who Jesus is. But in the way Jesus spoke to her, revealing to her something inside of her heart, him not having any pre-relationship with her, knows some intricate details of her life, awakens in her a response to Jesus. She says in the next verse, Perceive that you're a prophet. You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? She recognizes Jesus as a prophet. She asks a theological question and she's trying to sort out an understanding of, of what's going on, the frustrating boundaries between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't have the right place to worship. And she says, what's up with that? What is going on with this? And Jesus opens up for her in verse 21, this idea. In the next verse, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus continues on in verse 22. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Verse 23, 
But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Jesus is breaking down barriers when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus tells the woman, believe you me, location does not matter. What matters is the attitude of the heart and the transformed spirit inside of us that we are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus extends access to God to an outcast Samaritan woman with a casual understanding of theological matters who's degraded by her ethnicity, and she's uneducated. And Jesus says, my gospel is for you. My kingdom is for you. And we bring Nicodemus and the woman at the well into comparison. We see two people. One meets with Jesus at the wrong time of night, the other at the wrong time of day. One is a man, one is a woman, one is committed to religion, the other has a casual understanding of who Jesus is. One is educated, one is uneducated. One has an esteemed ethnicity, and the other is degraded by their ethnicity. But Jesus offers them the same invitation. He says, my spirit is for you. No matter what walk of life you come from. And today, the two people we've been looking at might be represented by you. They might represent you in Scripture. God has his spirit that he's extending to each and every one of us. It doesn't matter where we come from or where we're headed. God says, I am here for you. We have come to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's at this moment that the woman's heart is transformed. Verse 25 of John chapter 4. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Jesus Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The story continues on. We don't have time to unpack it today. She drops her water pot, goes running past the disciples and says, I've I've met the Messiah. She runs back into town and says, I've met the Messiah. There's someone who's told me everything there is to know about my life. I have met the Messiah. And go figure the first person in the Gospel of John to publicly proclaim Jesus as the Messiah is a Samaritan woman. That sink in for a moment. Someone who is prejudiced, against by her gender and by her ethnicity is the first one to proclaim Jesus' name. I don't understand why today, sometimes in our church, we struggle with who gets to proclaim Jesus' name. She can do it. We all can do it. God's gospel is for each and every one of us. Ellen White puts it this way, Desire of Ages, page 189. Religion is not confined to external forms and ceremonies. The religion that comes from God is the only religion that will lead to God. In order to service him aright, we must be born of the divine spirit. So here's my appeal to you today. I don't have any fancy illustrations. I don't have a a story that we're going to finish on that just leaves you weeping. My simple appeal comes from comparing these two people in Scripture. And I feel any illustration does injustice to their lives. God is after your heart. In these uncertain times that we live in, God is after your heart. 
Does not matter if you meet him at the wrong time of night or the wrong time of day. Does not matter if you are a man or a woman or anything in between. It does not matter if you are educated or uneducated. It does not matter your background, your country of origin, where you have come from. God is after your heart. And this community is an expression of the calling God has placed on our hearts that we come together in worship of the one who we can worship in spirit and truth. And it doesn't matter if we're in this gymnasium, the church across the street, in our dorm room, in the quiet place in our house, or for a walk in nature. God is willing to meet us wherever we are because he is spirit and he invites us to worship. A day or by night, he's after your heart. Committed or casual, he is after your heart. The same spirit offered to Nicodemus was the one offered to the woman at the well that is offered to us today. We'll put a QR code up on the screen. Next week, as we transition back into our sanctuary, we're planning on having a, a very special baptism dedication for those who have been baptized in Elevate so far this year. Got a little gift for them, and we're gonna, we're gonna dedicate them to God. But I also wanna open it up. Maybe today it's you that needs the reinvigorating power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't know if that's you. I want to give you an opportunity. You can scan this code. If you're watching on our website, this is elevate.org live. It's right underneath the, the stream. This will take you there. And you can respond to the message in this way today. I recognize my need for transformation of the Holy Spirit. How many of you today recognize your need for the transformation of the Holy Spirit? I know I do. I know I do. I'm ready to tell others about what Jesus has done for me. And maybe, just maybe, it's you that you want to be baptized. Love to see that happen next week. We're already planning one baptism on Friday night for Southwestern. Got that one confirmed. We're going to keep the water in the tank for the next day. If it's you, come find me after. Come respond to this. Come see anybody that you saw on stage today. We want to connect you to the life-giving spirit of Jesus. So it's a simple appeal today to turn your eyes to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who bore our sins so that we might have life, died so that we could live in him, rose again so that we might have that life eternal. And he's calling you today to worship him in spirit and truth, to have access to that life-giving spring that could only come from above. The transformation of your heart is yours today. What I've got to do is reach out and grab it. So I ask you again, what does it mean to be born again? Thank you so much for listening to this message of Elevate Retake. It was a blessing listening to it with you. I want to encourage you to keep a lookout for the second episode we will be releasing later this week where I get to sit down with Pastor Michael and a guest and talk and converse about this message and maybe some interesting thoughts or questions that I might have had. And I have the privilege of being able to get some awesome insight on that. So stay tuned. Have a blessed rest of your week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.